which is on page 810 if you use one of the Bibles around in the chairs. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. And let's pray together. Most wonderful God, thank you for being in our midst. And please help us understand what we hear from your word. Be with Pastor Mike as he explains it to us. And help us take it with us and live it from now on. Thank you for your spirit who guides and comforts and convicts us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I walk around this morning, I'll try to make sure I don't fall off the fiscal cliff into the, uh, into the uh, uh, abyss here. Yeah, yeah. I think of a better word than abyss for all of you. But um, I hope that you had a, a wonderful Christmas, uh, a Merry Christmas. We have been richly blessed, our family, this Christmas season. As many of you know, my wife is part of a uh, close-knit, large, extended family. And they all came up here uh, for Christmas. We had 30 for dinner last night in our house. And we were uh, expecting uh, 26. So we had 26 chairs, including piano benches and varieties of devices that we uh, counted as chairs. But we had one additional family come. So we actually had a group of kids sitting on the floor uh, in addition to tables in the hallway 
and in the entryway, locking the front door, only in and out through the back door. Uh, But we had a wonderful time of fellowship these last few days. Many of these, uh, my wife's uh, siblings and their families came up uh, the day after Christmas. Something happened the day after Christmas that was uh, very poignant and and memorable. Uh, Some of you also know that uh, Michelle's mother died uh, one year ago, the day after Christmas. And her father-in-law was with us here, and we said our prayer before the evening meal with a crowd that we had gathered together. And uh, after we prayed, my father-in-law kind of jumped in, and and he said, you know, I want to sing happy birthday to Grandma Janet. She has been with the Lord Jesus now one year, and we should sing happy birthday to her. And uh, we sang happy birthday, uh, a year uh, in eternity. I've never done that before, and it was just a special, special time and also uh, a sign of his faith and his devotion and his leadership and his perspective uh, in Christ. So I, I just want to thank God for this, uh, these last days and, and uh, week or so and, and pray that you are also uh, able to have a wonderful time celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. Well, if you have been around Cornerstone or really any church uh, for a length of period of time, you know that one of the core things that we emphasize here at Cornerstone, because it is emphasized in the scriptures, is loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, that was his response. That we love God above everything else in life. But as we all know, this is not uh, so easy. Uh, there are, in my own life, things that displace my love for Christ. And those are often really good things. This last week, I love to go up in the Sierra and even just a, a normal beauty area in the, Sierra, in the Sierra when it is just covered with fresh snow just becomes this, this wonderful, wonderful place. We're all able to travel up there. It's easy for me to love the Sierra. It's easy for me to love going mountain biking. It's easy for me on occasion to love my children. Uh, to love my spouse, to love my home, to love a variety of things. But sometimes it is very difficult to love Jesus in our lives. There's a variety of reasons for that. There are thousands of reasons for that. And as we look at a passage of Scripture today, we're going to look at just four of them, four obstacles to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord willing, we're also going to look at four remedies to those obstacles. A beautiful passage of Scripture. Let's bow our heads and pray uh, before we get into His Word. Father in heaven, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that You have revealed Your will to us in these words, in the Scriptures, in the Bible. So we ask, Lord, that as we listen to Your Word this morning, that we would listen uh, with Holy Spirit Uh, sensitivity, that we would listen in such a way as as children that have been adopted into your family. And we pray that you would help us to overcome these and other obstacles to loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, we, We pray that you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 7 is where we are. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you, Uh, There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we're going to pick it up at verse 36. And as you're turning there, 
Uh, by way of introduction, let me just say there are two events in Jesus' public ministry that are similar to this event that we're looking at today. That is the anointing of Jesus' feet uh, by a perfume or tears by a woman. There are two different events recorded in his uh, public ministry uh, in the New Testament. One of those happens near the end of his life, in uh, uh, his public ministry, the the end of his uh, public ministry, rather. And one of those uh, happens in the home of a a leper. And that incident is recorded in the other three Gospels. And we're looking at a similar event here in Luke chapter 7, but not the same as those events and we're going to as as that event and we're going to pick it up in verse 36 let me read verses 36 through 38 now one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house she she brought an alabaster jar of perfume And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This would have been quite a scene here at this uh, dinner meal, at this evening meal. Uh, In those days... Uh, a, a prominent person like Jesus, this rabbi who is performing miracles and is causing quite a stir uh, early in his ministry when he would be coming into town and eating at a Pharisee's home. This would be somewhat of a public event. Not everyone would be at the table. That would be a select, uh, a select group of folks. But everyone would know this rabbi who has been doing these miracles, who is teaching this teaching with authority, is coming to this Pharisee's house. And so crowds would have gathered and some would have come inside. And we're told here, uh, as he's invited to this Pharisee's home, that there is a woman who had lived a sinful life uh, there. And she comes in and she does this spectacular thing, breaking all the cultural barriers, going right into Jesus. He would have been uh, laying down, reclined at this uh, dinner table with his feet pointing away. And she, she is weeping, it says, in verse 36. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. This woman had a reputation as, living, as having lived a sinful life. And I think we're intentionally not told what that was so that we can relate uh, to this woman. Some of us could relate to her more than others. But she has a reputation for being a sinner Possibly she was a prostitute, perhaps she was an adulteress, perhaps she was married to someone uh, who had a dishonorable reputation, perhaps she was in debt, there could have been a variety of things. But this woman has recognized that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to take away the sin of the world. And not only the sin of the world, but her own sin. And so these are tears of appreciation And tears that show that she is loving God with all of her heart and soul and mind and strength. As she comes into this this uh, this dinner setting where she would have her place would have been outside, maybe hearing second or third hand what this teacher would have to say. But she comes right in with the perfume and she weeps and she weeps. The word that is used here to describe her crying and her weeping uh, can also be translated to become wet or, or to rain. 
And so she's causing uh, for it to rain. She's causing quite a scene here as, as people uh, are watching her. And she is crying tears of gratitude because the shame and the guilt that she has has been lifted. This burden that she has been carrying is gone because she recognizes who Jesus is. And so this is our first of four obstacles. The first obstacle that we have that sometimes gets in our way of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is shame, is is guilt uh, for what we have done and sometimes for what has been done to us. And we think there is no way that I can be freed from this burden. There's no way that I can be freed from this shame that I feel inside of me because of this thing that happened way back then or this thing that's happened recently or maybe even this thing that is still going on. Now there is no way that I can be accepted and loved by Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that is exactly what he came to do, to rescue sinners like this woman, like you and like me. And she has overcome the shame. And one of the things that we have to do to overcome the shame and the guilt that we have is recognize that our sin that we have is common. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, the sin that I have, the sin that you have, it may not be the same thing. We may not see someone around us who's in the same circumstances or with the same exact sin. But the Bible teaches that the sin that you have, the sin that she had, the sin that I have is common to humanity. And Jesus is sufficient to forgive us of that sin and to release us. And we do this by repenting and believing the gospel. So this is the beginning point. This is the starting point. And this is, uh, by implication and inference, this woman's situation and why she hasn't stayed outside and why she's gone right into this table. And she's broken all of the cultural boundaries to show how much she loves Christ and how much she appreciates him. We need to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus to be freed from shame and from guilt. We not only need to uh, do that, but we also need to confess our sins uh, to one another, the Bible says. Not to be forgiven. We are forgiven through Christ alone, not through one another or through a priest or any other mediator. But we should confess our sins to one another. James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And many of us have experienced the the journey where you've been in bondage, you've been in struggle with some particular sin, and you're confessing that and you're repenting that. You're bringing that before the Lord. You're repenting of that, rather. Uh, And then often we we, we get a new level of of, of victory, of peace, of freedom, of forgiveness when when we confide in a brother or sister in Christ someone who knows the Lord and someone who loves Christ very much, and we confess that sin to them, and they come alongside us, and they pray with us, and they walk us through this, and there's, there's healing that takes place there. So we need to confess to one another. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talking about who we should confess to. He says it is not experience of life, but experience of the cross that makes one a worthy hearer of confessions. Now, it's good to have someone who knows where we've been and someone who has struggled where we've struggled. But mostly what we need, primarily what we need, is someone that knows the gospel and someone knows the forgiving power of Christ. Someone like this woman who is worshiping Jesus, breaking all the boundaries and showing her gratitude and devotion to him. Uh, Bonhoeffer goes on, he says, the most experienced psychologist 
or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Jesus. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. So psychologists and psychiatrists have their place and they can help us. But they cannot help us to be free from the burden and bondage of sin like this woman had and, and was known throughout the community for whatever her sin, uh, her sin was. I wanted to go back. We already read through this, but I just wanted to uh, read it again. We don't need to read it aloud together, but I just love this. I was looking at it this week. Um, this truth, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature. I just, I, I love that. We need that encouragement um, in, in our lives. We need to have the kind of freedom that this woman has who has tremendous gratitude and love for Jesus Christ. So this is the first obstacle, shame uh, and guilt. We're going to look at three more of these. Let's come back to the text. We've seen uh, the, the, there's basically three characters in this section. We have uh, this woman that we've been introduced to. We have the Pharisee, and we have Jesus. And uh, coming back to the text in verse 39, we see the Pharisee's response. Take a look at that with me, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw this commotion, saw what she was doing, the shocking sight in front of him, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So we see this, we get a glimpse of the heart of this Pharisee. We learn in just a moment his name is Simon, and I don't think he's an adversary of Jesus. I don't think he's out to get Jesus. I don't think he's wanting to crucify Jesus at this point. I think he has heard about his teaching and genuinely invites him to his home. And, and, and he's checking him out. Is, is this guy a true prophet? Is this guy for real? And he sees what he does, that he allows this woman with this reputation as a sinner to touch him, to, to anoint him, to show this, this, this devotion to him in, in their culture in a very inappropriate way. And the Pharisee concludes, uh, no, this guy is not what people have been saying. He is not a prophet. He's definitely not the Messiah. He's not even a prophet. He would know who is touching him. Massive irony here. Uh, he would know who was touching him if he was really somebody sent uh, from God. So this, uh, this Pharisee has come, of course, to the wrong conclusion. I think we see from this that he is, at this point, not a believer. And Jesus uh, chooses to respond to him in a moment, and we'll look at that. But the second obstacle here is that we often have a preference for a different type of Savior than the real Savior, than the Jesus of history, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of the Bible. And so this Pharisee has a certain idea of what holiness and what of living for God looks like. And for this Pharisee, it looks like avoiding certain people. A big component of holiness is avoiding people that are uh, unrighteous, that are holy, that have this kind of reputation. And no one who was really godly would do this sort of thing. And so he has a preference for, for a Savior who, who lives by an ethic of avoidance. And we can do the same uh, kind of thing, where we think we maybe shouldn't get too close to, 
to certain types of people, to uh, someone that may look a little rough around the edges, or someone who has come out of prison, or someone who has uh, just been very different than we are. But our Savior is the exact opposite. He goes out of his way to minister to the Samaritan. He is welcoming of this woman in this formal banquet dinner who comes in, this woman who has this reputation. He goes out of his way to rescue and to save sinners. So our preference is for a different type of Savior often than the Savior that is presented in Scripture. We need to submit to the Savior of Scripture. And we also need to be aware of the danger of our faith uh, being at the core, something that, that we just try to avoid certain things. Uh, we, we avoid perhaps uh, certain movies or, or certain music or, or, or certain kinds of things. And this, this can, can kind of become central to who we are as Christians in place of the gospel. And this is an obstacle to us loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is freedom uh, in Christ. Christianity is primarily about the gospel and not about avoidance ethics. So we see this Pharisee um, is, is not on the right track at all here. And then we finally get to Jesus' response in verse 40. Take a look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh, Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. Uh, One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So Jesus tells this little mini parable here uh, to to Simon. Uh, The money lender uh, represents uh, God and the debts represent our sins. And one person has uh, ten times the amount that they owe than the other. And, and Jesus is demonstrating here uh, how this woman has recognized the magnitude and the greatness of her sin. And she therefore loves God so much. And as we read this little mini parable, uh, we can make some mistakes in, in interpreting uh, what this parable is really getting at. We could think something like this. Well, uh, this woman has sinned really big and the Pharisee uh, here hasn't. And so, therefore, in order for the Pharisee to really love God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, he's got to go out and do some of these headline-grabbing sins so that he can have the powerful, dynamic testimony that we often hear in church and and have a real heart to love God. And that would be a wrong way to understand this little mini-parable here. We see the same kind of of, uh, error happening happening possibly in the book of Romans as uh, someone reads the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And Paul recognizes, just as here, someone might conclude, well, in order to love God a whole lot, I've got to sin a whole lot, and then I can realize how much I've been forgiven, and then I'll love him a whole lot. And here, we have, okay, well, we want to see God's grace a lot. Well, we have to, we have to sin a whole lot. This would be a wrong collu- uh, conclusion. Paul anticipates that in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And you know he goes on saying, may it never be. This is not uh, the direction that Paul is going in, saying that we should continue to sin. And this is not the direction that uh, Jesus is trying to uh, go in here. 
So where is he going? What is he trying uh, to, to point out to this Pharisee? Calvin, I think, helps us in understanding this little mini parable in this section. He writes this. He says, from the words of Christ, the ones that we're reading here, therefore we are not at liberty to infer that Simon had been a debtor to a small amount or that he was absolved from guilt. It is more probable that as he was a blind hypocrite, he was still plunged in the filth of his sins. But Christ insists on this single point that however wicked the woman woman may have been, she gave undoubted proofs of her righteousness by leaving no kind of duty undone to testify to her gratitude and by acknowledging in every possible way her vast obligations to God. So the single point is is acknowledging that she has seen her wickedness, her sin, and Simon has not. And so we come to the third obstacle here for loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's the obstacle of blindness. It's the obstacle of us not being able to see inside of ourselves the kind of sinners um, that we are because we are sophisticated sinners and we sin in ways uh, that are strategic and we uh, deceive ourselves and sometimes have difficulty seeing the sin that we need to be forgiven from and have the gratitude and worship that this woman has. One of the uh, things that we do that the Pharisees also, uh, also do is we, we think, well, if I avoid just doing these things, well, then I'm really doing uh, quite okay. And this person over here who's actually done them um, is far worse. And we fall right into this uh, pharisaical way of thinking. Jesus hits this uh, straight on in the Sermon on the Mount, which Jared read earlier in Matthew 5. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So the Pharisees looked at this commandment uh, that you shall not murder. And, oh, well, I've never done that. I'm doing okay. But they misunderstood this commandment and and it goes to the very heart of who we are and goes to the heart of anger and not just avoiding the ethic of killing someone. And we see the same thing A few verses later, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, uh, the seventh commandment. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her uh, in his heart. So we can fall into the same traps that the Pharisees have of avoiding these things. But in our heart, in our thought life, uh, we have this same thing going on. And we need to see that in order to be able to love God. One commentator uh, writes this. He says, the fact is that it is always the characteristic of a true saint to feel himself a real sinner. The air in a room seems to be clear, but when it is penetrated by the sunlight, it is seen to be full of dust and other impurities. And so as men draw nearer to God and are penetrated by the light of God, they see more clearly their own infirmities and begin to feel for sin something of the hatred for which God feels for it. This is what Simon the Pharisee needs to see, and this is what we need to see to overcome the obstacle of blindness uh, in our own lives. Um, I, uh, so, so there's the remedy here. The remedy for blindness is to see the wickedness of my thought life, uh, not just my, ac- my actions as uh, offenses toward God. 
We not only are blind spiritually, but some of us have a visual impairments physically. I happen to have a visual impairment physically uh, when I stand in front of the refrigerator and I'm looking for a certain item and I can't find that item. I mean, my wife's told me this is what you can eat for lunch. It's in there and I'm standing there and I cannot find that thing. Some of you have the same uh, impairment. I've come up with a name for it, a viewnor. That's visually impaired, especially when near open refrigerators. Uh, I've got it. I've got it. I I open that refrigerator. I know it should be there. uh, But if I don't move my head, if I don't move the items around, if I don't adjust the angle, I just simply cannot see the thing that is there. And this is the way it is in our spiritual lives too. We have a hard time seeing uh, our own sin. And we need to ask God to reveal that to us. We need other brothers and sisters who are close to us who can lovingly, intrusively come into our lives and help us to see uh, what is right in front of us, but what we are missing, what is right in front of this Pharisee, he is completely missing it. And Jesus is trying to show it to him. This is one of the obstacles that keeps us from loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, let's finish up uh, this passage Uh, Jesus uh, has responded uh, to the Pharisee, Simon, and then he finishes up. This is very interesting. Look at verse 44. He turns toward the woman and says to Simon. So he is speaking to Simon through the uh, illustration of looking at, at this woman. So verse 44, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm thankful for this last verse. Uh, Without it, we might conclude that she was saved because she did all of these things, because she loved much, but that love much and all of these things that she did that were important, breaking all of these boundaries, were because her faith was genuine and real. And her faith is what saved her. And these works follow our faith. And so we come to the fourth and final obstacle this morning. There are, of course, thousands of obstacles that keep us from loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the fourth one is that we sometimes lack self-authenticating works. And by that I mean when we look at our own lives, when I look at my life, when you look at your life, we don't see ourselves taking risks that prove and show to ourselves that our faith is real. That, that, that we love God more than anything else. Do we do things so that we can show that to ourselves that this is indeed true? This woman takes uh, social risks here. She shouldn't have been in this home. She shouldn't have been touching this prominent rabbi's feet. This is inappropriate. This is something she shouldn't be doing. She doesn't care. 
because she loves God more than the cultural expectations that are placed upon her, than the social and societal expectations that are placed upon her. So those get put in their place. And she lives boldly for Jesus. And so she is freed from this burden, whatever her her sin was, whatever her reputation was about, she's freed from it. She's not so concerned about that because the Savior of the world has forgiven her and has removed that burden of shame. And so she authenticates her faith by what she does. We need to do the same thing. God is looking for us to take risks in what we do. He's looking for us to take social risks. He's looking for us to take financial risks. She also took financial risk here. This is a very expensive uh, perfume that she comes in with. Again, this would have been viewed as something inappropriate, something wasteful, something immodest. She recognizes this man is not just a rabbi. He's not just a prophet. He is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I will give whatever I can to worship him and to show his, show him his beauty and his grandeur and my appreciation for the forgiveness of sin. God even looks for us to take physical risks. We've had folks from this congregation, many of us haven't really taken physical risks for the sake of the gospel, but we've had people from this congregation to go into dangerous places to show the love of Christ. When, when we do when we take any sort of risks for the sake of the gospel, we are authenticating our faith to ourselves and we're showing to ourselves and to the Lord that we love him more than anything else. One commentator says this, and we'll finish up here. Jesus' point is that the person who realizes how great a gift forgiveness is because they have a deep sense of sin has a great love for the one who forgives. That is God. And that is what he is looking for in us. No matter whether we have a reputation like that woman, or most of us don't, no matter what our situation is, that we're able to see the depth of our sin and have a deep sense of it, and therefore we have a great love and we have a great appreciation for a God who has forgiven us and has lifted this burden off of us. Let's pray and thank God for lifting that burden. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for what he has done. We confess to you, God, that many things get in our ways, that get in our way, in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray for each of us here that we would be growing as risk takers, that we would speak up at work and in other places, at school, on the streets, at a restaurant, at a dinner table, wherever we may be, that we would speak up for the sake of the gospel, that we would show others and ourselves that we love Christ more than anything else. I pray, God, that you would help us to be generous people, that when we see needs, that when we see opportunity to give, that we would give sacrificially, showing that our greatest treasure is Jesus Christ and not our money, not our resources. And Lord, I pray that we would even take physical risks for the sake of the kingdom. And I pray that we would have the kind of freedom and the kind of joy And the kind of tears that this woman had as she was at Jesus' feet, thanking him for releasing her of this shame and this burden. May we have the same joy and the same worship, even as we sing these songs, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.